You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. If you want to be turning in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, our texts are going to be from verse 5 through 11. We're going to, we're going to read quite a bit of Scripture. 1 Peter is a letter, a book, written to pilgrims or sojourners who were scattered throughout Roman Empire and due to the Roman persecution after the fire of Rome, <clears throat> they were experiencing some, some difficulties, some persecution. Uh, if, you, if you were listening when Todd read from chapter 1, it said, uh, it talked about going through some trials, don't, being grieved by various trials. They were going through some bad times. <clears throat> I don't think I, or maybe you, know what real persecution is. Some, some of you might. Some of you might have been persecuted because of what you believe. But compared to what these people in the Bible went through, we don't know. I've seen some, I've talked to some people in Africa who were persecuted by their own family because they believed in Christ. So I'm not saying you hadn't been persecuted, but count your blessings. You probably hadn't been persecuted like some other people have. But these people were going through some persecution. <clears throat> Nero, if I, if I remember right, had blamed them for the fire in Rome. So that just escalated the persecution. Uh, the letter is intended to, to encourage the believers to, to stand or withstand these per- persecutions. This letter is to remind them of who it was that they had placed their faith in to begin with. Chapter 5 <clears throat> uh, begins with Peter talking to elders. He, he exhorts them. He says, shepherd the flock as overseers, not, not because of a comp- compulsion, but willingly, not for filthy gain, but being examples to them. And when you do these things, Peter says, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. <clears throat> now, I, I have some verses from, from chapter 3, verse 8, all the way through four, the end of four. I, I, not all the verses, but I've, I've picked out several verses to kind of give you an idea of uh, what was going on, what they were facing, what Peter had already told them in the preceding chapters. In verse, uh, or chapter three, verses eight through 13, you can turn there if you want to. <clears throat> it says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him reframe his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who, and who is he who will harm you if you become a follower of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
you are blessed. Let's skip down to verse 18 of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he may bring us to God. And then you skip over to chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Now skip down to verse 7 through 9 of chapter 4. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. <clears throat> then skip down to verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And then finally, verse uh, 17 and through 19 of chapter 4. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Or what will, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? <clears throat> Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Just a, just a little bit of insight of what he had already told these people that were scattered, that were being persecuted. Then I'm going to read chapter 5, 1 through 4. This is, what he, this is our immediate text, right before our text that we're going to get to. The elders who are among you, I exhort... I, who am an el a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Serve as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, <clears throat> or as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when, Christ and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, that does not fade away. Wonderful, wonderful words. Um, he and in our verses for this morning, he kind of switches. He he just was speaking to the elders, the pastors, the leaders, telling them what they need to do and how they need to do it. Mainly, be examples to their flock, to feed their flock, to shepherd their flock. Then in verse five, he switches gears. And this will be our text for today. He switches gears from the elders to younger people. Now, how many of you know <clears throat> that when we're talking about the Bible, what's good for the younger people is also good for the older people? And what's good for the older people is also good for the younger people. It's, all, it's good for everybody, right? So it, he's definitely writing to the younger people, but know for sure it's to you and I as well. Verse 5, <clears throat> Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, 
Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Bow with me, please. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you for for allowing us to have a copy in front of us. Father, we, we don't know or we forget how precious your word is. Help us to learn more about you through your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> and I... I've told you before that, that I've been in places that uh, they don't have a word. They don't have the word of God in front of them. And they, and they rejoice like they've gotten the greatest gift of all when you do give them one. Oh, that we would feel that way about ours. Why the younger people? Likewise, you younger people. This is rhetorical, so don't answer. So why, why, would, he, why would he be saying these words to the younger people? I can. I, I am nearly fifty-six years old. Next week, I can remember a little bit about my youth, and that is, I can see why he's saying this. How many? Now, we're, everybody, everybody who is twenty years old and younger, raise your hand. Okay. No. First of all, know that I'm not picking on you. Okay, I'm not picking. You can put your hands down. I'm not picking on you. But, adults, how many of you know that younger people are not, are not always submissive, right? Yeah, they need to be taught, right? We'll, we'll get to the adults later, but the younger people are not submissive. The younger people sometimes aren't humble. Uh, and the younger people need to be taught who to cast their cares on. But we do too, right? We do too. Submissive. How many of you kind of cringe when you hear that word, be submissive? Submit yourself. That means to be brought lower than somebody else, right? And humility, it, we're going to get to that. But uh, like I said earlier, all Scripture is good for all people. We're going to look at, well, if we make it today, I'm hoping. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, I'm going to start this and finish it tonight, but just going how fast I talk. And, but we're, we're going to look at five different things. Submit yourselves, humble yourselves, cast yourselves, control yourselves, and rest yourselves. And it's pretty, it's pretty obvious. He, he, first, first one comes out of verse 5. Submit yourselves. Submit yourselves to the elders. The King James Version says, submit yourself to the elder, I believe instead of your elders, talking about a person, a mature spiritual leader in charge, uh, in leading the flock, leading God's flock. He's telling the younger people to be submissive to them as he's telling us to be submissive as well to our mature spiritual leaders. Uh, we have a church full of 
mature leaders, right? And we have one main elder, leader, our pastor. Paul, I mean, Peter is telling these younger people and us to be submissive to them. And yes, he goes on to say, yes, and all of you submit yourself to one another. So not only are we supposed to be submissive to our elder, we're also be supposed to be submissive to each other. Paul writes some of the same things in Romans 12. If you want to turn there, Romans 12, 9 through 6, talking about being submissive. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to us hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your minds on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Submissiveness. You have to have, you have to have some part of selflessness, right? To be submissive to somebody. It's the only way to do what Paul, what Peter, what God tells us to do is to be selfless. A lack of submission, submissiveness in the believer, and especially in the church, forfeits God's grace. Notice what he says. God resists the proud. What does that mean? If there's pride, if there's a prideful man, if there's a prideful congregation, God resists. Resist your prayers. Resist uh, showing up. Maybe, I don't know. He, he said he resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So think about that. Be, not being submissive to our elders or submissive to each other may, might be giving God every reason he needs to be um, against us. God doesn't like pride. He, Satan, the first, the first sin was pride, right? If, if the word submit or submission makes you cringe, if you don't like it when somebody tells you to be submissive to somebody else, could be that pride has already got a foot in your heart, right? Because the opposite of submission is pride. Submit yourself to the elders. Submit yourself to each other. Most importantly, submit yourself to God. And then he adds, and be clothed with humility, which is the next point. You humble yourselves. Therefore, he says, therefore, since, since what I just said, God resists the proud and, but gives grace to the humble, therefore, humble yourself. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is our perfect example of humility, right? We'll turn, to, turn to Philippians 2, if you would. <clears throat> there is no doubt we will never find a better example of humility than Christ. No doubt in the world. Paul writes quite a bit about humility. In these verses in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, he writes, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant or slave, and, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now keep your spot there. We're going to come back to that here in just a minute and look at verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> so, verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourself. Who are we supposed to humble to? Who are we supposed to be humble to? Under the mighty hand of God. <clears throat> so how do we do that? How do we humble ourselves to God? How, do, how are we to be humble before God? What's the trick to getting to that point? Well, it's simple to me. Not saying, not, not saying that I'm humble, but it's simple. <clears throat> All we have to do is recognize God for who he really is. Rhetorical question, who is God to you? Think about it for just a second. Is he somebody you just come worship once a week? Is he somebody that you uh, treasure? Is he somebody that you are thankful to every day? Who is God to you? God is, of course, mighty. He say, he, Peter even says it under the mighty hand of God. He's mighty. He's powerful. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. Yes, God loves you. He proved that, and we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, he al he's also a jealous God. Did you know that if you are a child of God, you the Bible says you are a bride of Christ, right? So when we find ourselves spending more time doing this than being with God, it's just like committing adultery to your spouse. It's just like cheating on your spouse, but way worse. It's cheating on God. If you're his... You're his bride. If you aren't giving him your all, you're cheating on him. And he's a jealous God. He's also, according to Hebrews 12, 29, he's a consuming fire. Who is God to you? Remember who he is. Recognize who he is. Simply put, the way we get ourselves with an attitude of humility toward God is remembering who God is. He is a creator and sustainer. He's Alpha and Omega. And then, remember who you were. If you're a child of God, if you've placed your trust in Christ, you are a child of God. You're an heir, right? So remember who you were before God's grace. Remember, if you will, the times when you didn't know God. I personally try my best to block them out because I know who I was then. Remember who you were. If you're a child of God, remember who you are now. By God's grace, you're a child of the living God, a child of the mighty God, a child of the sovereign God. Not because of anything you did, all because of his grace. So, remember who God is. Remember who you were and remember who you are now. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you might, that you, this might seem uh, Greek to you. That can be changed because Christ died for you as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if, when, we, when we remember who God is, when we remember who we were, 
when we remember who we are now, humility is bound to follow. It should. It should put us on our face. Next, it says be you. Well, it does. It doesn't. It does not specifically say be humble toward others. But back up a little bit, and it says be submissive toward others. And being submissive is being humble. So we're going. We're going to add that in there. Not not adding to God's word, but I'm pretty sure he means the same thing. Philippians two, verses three through four. Let nothing be done through through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each other each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Doesn't give us a right to be busybodies, but we just simply stating we need to be looking to others' interests instead of ours. Selflessness, humble. If these scriptures are hard for you to swallow this morning, if being humble toward others, if there's somebody on your mind right now that you're thinking to yourself, I can never be humble to him or her, I can never be submissive to him or her, you're going against God's word, and that's pride. Pride has either made his home there or got a foothold in there. We, If, if we say that, we have forgotten what Christ did for us or we just don't know yet. It says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and or that he may exalt you in due time. Time and time again, Jesus told his disciples and Paul and and the rest of the writers say the same thing. uh, He or for whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Our scripture adds in due time, in God's perfect timing. We, we, we want it right now. We want everything right now, right now, right now. But God has a better plan. He resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. And it's all done in his perfect timing according to his perfect will. Peter tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. I uh, I wrote down a quote. I cannot remember who said it, but it's been in my phone ever since I've seen it. It says, the hushing of humility is the rushing in of pride. Brother, how many of you you knew Brother O.D. Tuberville? Pretty good bit, right? He used to teach Sunday school, and pretty regularly in Sunday school class, he would say something to the effect of, whenever you think you're humble, is the second that you become prideful. Humility is a strange thing. Humility is a hard thing for us because our flesh and our body doesn't want to be submissive to others. We want to be number one. So number two, well, number one, submit yourself. Number two, humble yourselves. And number three, cast yourself. Verse 7 says, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Man, if we could do that, if we could do that with everything, every day, how much easier would our life be? How much less stress would we be in? Casting all your cares upon him, talking about God, for he cares for you. 
To cash simply means to throw something up on something else or someone else in this case. Our, uh, our mundane life, our day-to-day decisions, cast them on God. Our important decisions, our big decisions, cast them on God. Our thoughts, our downfalls, our sins, cast them on God. He can handle them. You know, there's, there's some great people in this church, and there's some great people you can turn to for help. But they're still people. They will. We will fail each other, right? We're people. Cast your cares upon the one who can handle the weight and can do something about it. Cast them on him. When you're, when you're trying to make a decision on to do this or that, cast it on God. And wait on him. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Uh, his shoulders are broad. He can handle them. Actually, he wants them. He wants your trust. Trust him enough to cast them on him. Try to think, try to think of it from a father's standpoint, father, an earthly, physical father. From a father's standpoint, doesn't he want his children to come to him when they have problems? Absolutely. And when you're a kid, especially when you're a little kid, your father can handle everything, right? God is so much bigger. He is so much greater. <clears throat> Jesus said in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden light. So cast your cares upon God. He cares for you. How do we show people that we care for them? By doing something, right? We can say we care, but usually it's by doing. That's, that's when it really means something. How did God show that he cared for us he sent his son some 2,000 years ago to this earth he left glory that we can't imagine came to this filthy earth put on a fleshly body how many of you is aching some this morning yeah he put on that body he found it let's see how, how did he how did he see it uh he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant, bond servant, coming in the likeness of men. <clears throat> we forget or we don't think about how big a deal that was. God of all creation coming to this earth and putting on flesh, feeling what we feel, everything, sorrow, pain, heartache. He cares for you. He not only came to this earth, right? He lived that perfect life, not a sin. He died that perfect death, hung there on that cross. We're talking about humility. Humbled himself to the cross. He cares for you. There is no doubt about that. <clears throat> John MacArthur wrote, uh, Submission, humility, and trust are the three attitudes necessary 
for the victorious life of a believer. How is your spiritual life this morning? Is it where it needs to be? Do you find yourself being selfish? Do you find yourself being prideful? <coughs> Peter just laid out three simple <coughs> excuse me, three simple things for us to do. Submit to God and to others. Humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself before others. Cast all your cares upon him who cares for you. There is no God. There's no other like that. You might have a good friend. You might have a good spouse. You might have a good mother. There's nobody like God. He cares. And he wants you to come to him. <clears throat> They're essential. Submission, humility, and trust in God are essential attitudes needed in order for us to glorify God. You must. You must submit yourself. You must give it all to him. You must humble yourself before God. The opposite of all these, all three of these attitudes is pride. And God resists the pride, and he, and he gives grace to the humble. The proud will be brought low. The humble will be exalted in due time. It might be in glory, or it might be before then. It's none of our business. It's his business. <clears throat> Next, we're going to look at controlling ourselves. Control yourselves. He says to be sober, to be vigilant. What in the world does that mean? Sober. It's not talking about alcohol. Even though it could be, but it's not. It's not. It's talking about sober-minded, self-control. You know, if if you, uh, well, when you're not sober physically, you're not in control, right? But when you are sober-minded, you're in control of your thoughts, you're in control of your actions, you're in control of your words. How many times have our words slipped out and we wish we could get them back? You can't do it. Be sober-minded. How many times have our actions, you've done something, and as soon as you've done it, as soon as you did it, you knew it was wrong, and you can't take it back. Be sober-minded and be vigilant. Um, he says to uh, be vigilant, and that, and that simply means to be alert and watchful. Not carefree and passive, but careful with your decisions. Knowing that there is a spiritual battle going on around you. Knowing that uh, God is for you and the devil is against you. You have to be watchful. You have to be alert of the world. Not frightened or even surprised, but ready. Be aware and on guard against evil. Now, why does he say that? Because, continuing in verse 8, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
Scary if you, if you ask me. Scary if you don't know God. Uh, he warns us, warns the younger people in us to be sober-minded, to be vigilant because of what's going on in the unseen world. Satan's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything, but I can promise you he knows your weakness. He knows my weakness. I know that, and he preys on it. He's, he's there waiting for me to, to get my life out of line with God, and he pounces. And, brothers and sisters in Christ, if Satan's not worrying you right now, it might be that you're not a threat to him, right? Peter writes, control yourself. Control, be in in control of yourself because your adversary, that means an enemy, that means an opponent, the one that's against you, the devil, he goes ahead and names him. He's walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Turn to to, uh, Job, please, Job 1. If you don't believe what Peter says about your adversary, we'll see what Job says about him. Chapter 1, verse 6 of Job. He writes, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Notice what he says. So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and walking walking back and forth in it. Seeking. He doesn't say it, but he's seeking. Chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. He's seeking. He wants to destroy your life. With one slip-up, you can destroy your whole testimony that you've built up for God. In one, one second, one minute, that you spent your whole life building up. Like I said, Satan's, the devil's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things, but he does know our weaknesses. And he, he, uh, he uses those against us. Uh, and next he says in verse 9, resist him. Talking about Satan. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. Peter's telling us, believers in Christ, to resist the devil. I can't do that on my own. You can't do that on your own. How do, how do we do that? Steadfast in your faith. How do, we, how do we become steadfast in our faith? Read God's word. Prayer. Coming together every time these doors are open. Build your faith. Build your trust and reliance on God. And when that happens, then 
we can resist the devil through his power. It's not our own power. <clears throat> it says, uh, uh, in my study Bible, it says, as the believer knows sound doctrine from God's word and obeys God's truth, Satan is withstood. So you don't have to, you don't have to be some great and mighty believer in God. Read his word, understand his word, obey his word, and when you do that, Satan is withstood. Satan is resisted. We know from, from Christ's experience in the wilderness, God's word is what makes Satan flee. So the more of this we have in us, maybe, maybe the less he will get us down or make us, or, or make us do what we shouldn't do. <clears throat> uh, Ephesians 6, most of you know what's in there, the, the armor of God. When we pull on the whole armor of God, as, as Paul writes, we withstand him. We resist him. And, and when we do that, we can stand against principalities, against rulers of darkness, against the wickedness. And we know the world seems like, anyway, is becoming more wicked. Steadfast in the faith. That's how we do it. Our faith in our God makes it possible. All of our fears, all of our disappointments, all of our questions, all of our weaknesses, ground them in your faith in God. Cast them on Him. Uh, hold on to those truths. And then He says something not strange, interesting. How many of you ever, you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but how many of you ever thought to yourself, Nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm in this all alone. Look what he says in verse 9. Resist him steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. These Christians were, were experiencing what I call real persecution, being chased down, being, you know, they had already left their homes because of a little persecution. And then when the fire of Rome came, the persecution escalated, knowing that the same sufferings are experiencing the brotherhood in the world. You're not alone. There's nothing new under the sun. Somebody is probably going through what you're going through right now at this very moment, maybe in this very building. God knows it. He wants you and us to cast it on, on him. Lastly, <clears throat> rest yourself. <clears throat> so we've looked at submit yourself, humble yourself, cast yourself, control yourself, and now we look at rest yourself. Verse 10 <clears throat> says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to, to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. So rest yourself in that. Rest in the fact, the truth of knowing that God's in control. You know, he even says, after you have suffered a while, God was allowing these Christians to be, suffer, to be persecuted, right? To suffer for a while. How do you explain that? Oh, no, you trust it. You trust that his will, his perfect will is right. 
whatever it is, whatever he allows, whatever he causes, you rest in the fact that he's in control. He's on his throne. He's the God of all grace, and he wants to perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. So in conclusion, when we submit to God by humbling ourselves to him and casting all of our cares upon him, then we will also submit to each other through and through God giving God's giving self through God giving us self-control and steadfastness of our faith. The devil can be resisted. We're not defeated. If you're his, you're not defeated. If you're his, you might have had a bad week or a bad month, but you're not defeated. Rest in that. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Romans eleven thirty six. maybe if I have a, a favorite verse, may be my favorite verse. It says, for of him, through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's, it's not really about us. It's about him. It is about us doing right, but it's about him, us doing right to glorify him. And, and when we do submit ourselves and humble ourselves and cast ourselves on him and control ourselves through his power, we can find that rest. As Christ says, you'll find rest for your souls when you come to him. 